State of the Arts, NYC, and this is your host, Savannah Bailey McLean. And today we have in the studio Emma Osori. And Emma Osori is the co founder of Black Space, which is a collective of different designers, system thinkers, uh, curators, and other architects who are redesigning and rethinking spaces and neighborhoods so that uh, people of color can reclaim their heritage. So I just want to thank Emma for coming out on this snowy day. And also because we had to redo this show because (laughs) of some technical malfunctions that happened. So I just really want to thank her for coming in. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. So we're going to redo this. And, And I think now that we've warmed up, now we really can dive into the conversation. So Black Space, uh, these are various people from these multiple disciplines who decided to come together. They live in Brooklyn primarily, and they wanted to help neighborhoods of color so that they didn't lose their heritage. And it's really about how do you go about doing that? What defines heritage? What does that mean for other people? So Emma, what made you decide to start this organization? Um, I think it came out of a need. Uh, There were a couple of us who were in the room at a Harvard Black and Design Conference in 2015. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I like to say Black Space was existed, but we didn't know it yet. Um, So we sort of, there were a couple of us who sat together and we just wanted to continue these conversations that centered on blackness and space and place and design across disciplines, I think that's important. Often our disciplines can get very siloed. Um, And as practitioners and people who have lived experience with the injustice in this country, we really felt like solutions were more intersectional than maybe what we were able to just do at our jobs and in our squarely in our professions. And so... Um, decided to continue the conversation, essentially, and got together um, it, back in Brooklyn. We lived sort of close together, it turns out, so it was a little serendipitous, which mm-hmm. was lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the group start, started with maybe five folks and then snowballed to now we have um, over 125 people who wow. consider themselves black urbanists in our Slack channel, so our online community. And we have two chapters, one in Oklahoma and one in Chicago, who are doing their own work on heritage and neighborhoods, as well as getting together as professionals to uh, push push our professions forward. Mm -hmm. Okay, now this is uh, quite interesting because I didn't know you had that many chapters. I know it's just two others, but still, that's a big deal because this is a, a situation where 
urban neighborhoods across the country are trying to deal with a lot of overwhelming, you know, dynamics like gentrification, uh, like redevelopments, rezoning. And so this is new for a lot of people in these neighborhoods. They don't know what it means. But the history of displacement is not new. Mm -hmm. That we all have experienced in some shape or form or in our families. So do you feel that by forming this collective, you can help people navigate, you know, the, um, the aspects of living in cities in the 21st century? <laughs> Um, yeah, it's a good question. I think that we think we can, right? And I think, and it's rooted in that idea that we come from various disciplines. And so our our toolkit is rather vast. Mm -hmm. And that being an important factor in thinking differently about how neighborhoods are, how neighborhoods happen and how people have a sense of place. Um, and so, uh yeah, I think that's the most Im that that is what we think is our asset is our diversity um, mm -hmm. in profession, but also uh, geography and life experience. Um, so I think we uh, and we're about three years in and about one and a half years of being more serious. So last year we completed. I don't want to say completed, but we um, embarked on our first major initiative, which was surrounding heritage conservation in Brownsville. Okay. It was our first opportunity to say, hmm, what can we do? What does it look like when we bring our skills and tools and, and things um, together? And okay. what can we make? So, so tell us a little bit about that, because I've been to Brownsville a few times. And, you know, Brownsville is a community that has been neglected for quite some time. And you have a lot of housing projects, but you also have a lot of open spaces that, you know, like lots that, you know, children play in, but they're not developed playgrounds for them. Uh, it's kind of like a food desert in some ways. There's not that many grocery stores. Um, it's a hike to get to the subway sometimes in that neighborhood. There is high crime in that area, gangs. So how did you begin that conversation with people so that they could kind of reclaim what they feel was important to them? Yeah, so um, one of the first things we did as this group who was getting together um, to try to figure out a plan of what we were going to, how we were going to interact with Barnesville was to set out um, sort of an idealized process that would help us sort of move through. Mm -hmm. um, and so <clears throat> the first thing that we all agreed on was that we would listen, learn, mm -hmm. and activate um, in Brownsville. Um, and so really listening and learning uh, was the most important thing. And one of the things we saw missing often in our day-to-day -day work. Mm -hmm. It's like sort of you get a project, you have a goal, and you do. Okay. There's not really this pause and break to listen and learn from everyday people, not just the stake major stakeholders of a community, right? Mm -hmm. So we started going to, we made a list of existing cultural events that were already on the calendar. We had a number of neighborhood contacts there who sort of let us know who the right people were to talk to about like who were making the events essentially. Okay. Okay. Um, and there were a couple of organizations and, and individuals doing that. Uh, and so we decided to go to those of cultural events and talk to people. So the Easter parade and annual Easter egg hunt, we went there and 
there were people of all ages. Uh, and so we talked to old, older people. We talked to young people um, to really say, like, what is special about this place? What do you remember? What is one of your best memories? What are the places and spaces that have been important to you? Um, and even in that first um, that first engagement, we learned about uh, a softball team that used to meet in Betsy Head Park. Um. We learned about uh, the Black Panthers free breakfast program that was stationed there. I mean, we learned some incredible, we learned how people's routines, like their bodegas are important to them, right? We learned a lot of interesting information about how people in Brownsville relate to their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we did a sort of a series of listenings and learnings um, and that was the most important was going in assuming that there were stories and histories and heroes and legacies there and trying to listen and learn for what those were as it related to the the i guess geographical like location right where did these things happen um and so uh that was strengths-based sort of approach going in was important because i think everything that you read if you're trying to research brownsville beforehand you're going to see a lot of negative stuff. And right. when and when you come in with a idea of, oh, I want to help, and you read about negative things, it, it, it already puts you in a certain mindset that I think folks in black space were actively trying to work against. Okay. We said, no, we, d- we know there's great stuff here, and we just want to listen and learn about it first before we make any other move. So you redefined that. Now, how can you capture all of that information and presented in a manner so that the people who live there would value it, but those outside of the community would also value it. Because you're right. When most city agencies come into a neighborhood, at least in New York City, they come in with a whole set of ideas of what they think they know. And what you just told me was like, no. We have actually invested in the people, and we've listened to their stories, and this is what matters to them. And so how do you package that so that way everybody gets to understand? Because that's how you reclaim a neighborhood is by sharing those stories. Yes. Um, And so we captured things in a map. I think also when we were mapping, we know that our professions are very uh, uh, built environment, focused on the built environment. And obviously we think that's important, but also we wanted to push against that as well. We would say, no, it's about people and their experiences and sense of place. Um, and so when we were mapping, we not only mapped significant buildings that, you know, like um, that were there, but we mapped where certain streets were named after heroes in the neighborhood, right? Or where um, certain sort of ephemeral events had happened Um, and thinking about intangible heritage Mm -hmm. and being able to map those as closely as possible as well as tangible heritage I think was a a way to recognize the fullness of what culture and sense of place means Mm -hmm. and so we just started mapping as much as we could geolocate right Um, and not only did we talk to people we also did a lot of online research about you know, there's already a lot of content by a lot of cultural producers in Brownsville who have stuff online, right? So there are walking tours where people are interviewing people uh, down the block, talking about different issues. Um, Can we geolocate that? Can I plug that YouTube video into the block where they were walking down, right? And so it's about 
expanding this idea of what culture is, expanding how you can locate sites, right? It's not just about buildings. It's about people's movement through them. Um, and so... I like and that. And then we all, yeah. You said the movement between the sites. Now, that I like very much because oftentimes people don't, you know, really deal with that. Yeah. Okay. Once before, I tried to tell somebody I wanted to get some dancers when I was dealing with a community engagement program to just dance and walk along a stretch in a neighborhood just to see how people interact and folks thought that was crazy and I said I have a feeling if you did that people will come and they'll tell you things mm -hmm. so thanks for saying that yeah um, and so it was about listening mapping learning we also um, one of the tools that we had from this broad set of skills that we bring was a human-centered design process we had a product designer who's part of our group um, and so he helped us he helped push us to prototype things, right? Hmm. And so we, after we listened and learned, we sort of made some designs based on what we had heard that we thought might address some of the history and heritage, but not in service of, we weren't necessarily going to build those exact things, but it was really to show people to say, hey, what do you think about this? How is this resonating? What's wrong with this? What's not right? What would you change? Um, and so we also prototyped in service of learning more. Mm -hmm. um, it just was a more tangible way to learn. Um, and so, again, we did those prototypes at existing cultural events. We didn't try to make a new event that people would have to come to. It was how can we embed this in the life, the cultural life of the community and learn that way. I also think that's smart because what you've done, you expanded the um, the event platform too mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. instead of like you said reinventing the wheel where it's strange where it's difficult to get people to come out now people can look at those community events differently to say oh in addition to just hanging out and maybe having something to eat and chit chatting oh we also get to discuss things mm -hmm. oh we get to share mm -hmm. you've actually actually added on to those existing events. That's very smart. Exactly. That's it very builds different. capacity in that way as well. And often, you know, I've seen in my own neighborhood that there are like a lot of people are having block parties or street fairs, um, uh, avenue sort of day parades. And there are lots of gaps in between sometimes. It, you know, there's not always the fullness that we might see. So it is, I guess, adding capacity in that way to make sure there's a full street scene happening yeah. that we're adding to that too. And that brings people out because usually if you start telling stories about somebody, an elder in the group may say, hey, you know what? We should invite such and such and so-and-so. Exactly. And do you see them? Are they nearby? Come on over. You know, these folks are asking these questions. Mm -hmm. And that actually adds more because now people have a reason to come out. They see friends and mm -hmm. they're going to want to know who are you and mm -hmm. what are you doing and so that was kind of clever for what you were trying to do. So the mapping helped and the prototyping. Explain that prototyping a little bit. Is it another layer onto the map or was it uh, a website? What was it exactly? Sure. So it's in real time learning by doing. So we listened to some things and we said, hmm, uh, you know, people really expressed that they would love more time to speak to each other intergenerationally. We heard that come up a lot 
I wish the youth knew this. I wish older people knew this, you know. Um, and so we created, for example, just little cards that people could write in. This was at the, you know, street fair, mm-hmm. beyond Belmont Street Festival, um, that I wish I could teach youth how to, and people fill in the blanks, and then show that, and we paste those up in a big sort of, not a mural, but, you know, mm-hmm. just sort of pasted publicly. So then you have this whole collection of, I would love adults to teach me, I would love to teach youth how to, if wow. I could make something, it would be this, right, in Brownsville. So it's this interactive, like, I don't want to, not crowdsourcing, but trying to see, work out the kinks and the benefits by doing something, actually. And so we had a station where also people could um, write on a piece of cloth someone who they wanted to remember or acknowledge and tie that on a tree, right? That was one of our less successful ones, but that was the point of it, right, is are some of the ideas that are in our head let, how can we do them in a very cheap, quick way to, to see what we can learn? And it helps us chart the next direction. This really worked. This didn't really work. People like this one. People didn't really like this one. Um, and so that was helpful in us. That was a part of the process. Uh, now, of I'm curious. Did you find a way to connect those people? So, for instance, if someone said, I wish I could learn this, was there a mechanism so that people could contact someone to say you can learn this from me you could take that trumpet lesson or you could take that tap dance course was there a way for people to connect i think the connection point was when we were putting it up on the wall right Mm -hmm. that you can see then in its entirety of everyone who responded what people are needing and what skills and talents people have to teach Mm -hmm. i think that was the sharing it's almost this um map of skills, right, of the neighborhood, not of the neighborhood, that's Mm -hmm. too expansive, but of the participants of what the you start to um, bring to light some of what the value that people in that have is in the neighborhood. And you put that out in public. Because other than that, I might, someone might not necessarily know. One man said, I would love to teach handball to the youth. You know, he was part of a handball group. And so they're like, you know, you don't know that until you do an activity like that. I'm not going to know to ask about handball if I'm just in a conversation with him. That was something that came out because of the prototype. Now, you brought a memory. Yeah. No, I used oh. to play handball. Oh, yeah? I was a handball kid. Wow. <laughs> if there was a wall and a ball, I played. And then I grew up in the Bronx, and there was a group of girls where uh, we used to play, and we would watch the boys. Mm-hmm. It wasn't you know, to try to hook up with the boys. It was they were the best ones. Mm. They knew who we were. And then on occasion, then they would say, you can come and play. You can come. And we would all watch. And then eventually it really mixed. And they found out that the girls could play just as hard (laughs) as the boys. And wow. And we went from handball from the pink Spaldines to the black balls, to then paddle ball. Wow. We were all competitive, playing mm-hmm. with each other. Now, that, I'm too old now. That's a memory. Mm-hmm. Now, that was a good one. Yeah, in space, right? In your yeah. neighborhood that was, that has this lasting memory for you and I'm sure for, you know, other people who are playing with you. And how do you, uh, talking about reclaiming heritage, if, you know, um, if uh, someone's going to come in and talk about what sports are needed here, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be interesting to do handball rather than something else, right? Yeah. If they were going to, if they were really 
turning back in the history and saying, what can we do to amplify what's great about this place? And the handball maybe was one of those. And I think urban planners, designers don't always go in saying, what is here? What has been here? And what can we leverage? Usually it's like, okay, this place has nothing. It's disinvested. Let's start from zero and build up. And I think there's just a lot of tools and gems missing when you have that approach. And so going back in the history, while none of us are historic preservationists or historians, Mm -hmm. we found that it was very important to acknowledge people and their places and their histories and see what that could add to our kit of, of tools as we moved forward to design solutions alongside folks who are presently active in Brownsville. Um, so it's very important to to acknowledge that those things. Now, I wish you could find a way of collecting that because handball, I'm using that as a, an example right now, is not played that often in New York City. It's sort of a lost sport. So, so same thing with stickball. They have done a better job in preserving stickball. Uh, now they're leagues that play stickball. But if you guys could harness those memories and information and share it with schools, and because, you know, I think you're right. When people come into a neighborhood, they think nothing's there. They start fresh. So they'll push what they think. Exactly. Like soccer. Exactly. Soccer is popular. Well, let me push that. Mm-hmm. Well, But maybe that's not what they really value. So it's all about values. And that's what I like what you guys are trying to do is what do people value? How do we support that? Yes. And so in our work in Brownsville, um, we came up with uh, five heritage values, right? Instead of being prescriptive and saying like, we anyone who wants to preserve heritage in Brownsville should do street sign naming, right? That's very prescriptive. It's more about what are the values that we could start to distill over this time of prototyping and learning and, um, and listening to people. And so some of the ones that we're workshopping, and they're never finished, but the, the ones we were able to sort of distill so far are things like celebrating resilience, connecting history to the present and future, mm-hmm. Um, amplifying green space and physical beauty in Brownsville, um, opening space for collective storytelling, and facilitating connections across generations. And just being able to start to articulate that those values in that way, you can imagine, it, I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but handing that to the Parks Department and say, these are the things mm-hmm. that we've learned that are valuable about the history and heritage of this place in your designs, please consider and make sure there are elements of these values that are present, right? And so I think one of the things that we've learned that we bring as Black Space is not only um, the uh, sort of convening power that we can bring uh, different people together around uh, some ideas that might be new, but that are very familiar, like heritage conservation or Mm -hmm. cultural production. People aren't necessarily saying that that's what they do, but we can bring people together under that umbrella, but also articulate value, right? So that people in the neighborhood who are advocating for certain things can have power and agency over, you know, the the history and heritage and legacies that they want to see in the future. Well, what's great about it, and we're going to be wrapping up soon, what I like about it is that you're offering people a chance to reclaim 
their traditions without there having to be an end goal. Like, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. oh, we're building this new high rise or we're going to build this new waterfront. Mm-hmm. Without that having to be there, you're doing it for the sake of doing it. Yeah. And that, to me, I feel has a much longer life mm-hmm. than when you deal with those isolated projects. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how you build art into mm-hmm. a community and design into a community because it's an ongoing process. Exactly. Is that what you guys are hoping? That is exactly it. Um, I think we've also deliberately chosen the words heritage conservation. Uh, That was very deliberate because conservation connotes this idea that it's a living thing. You know, it comes out of like an environmental movement where it's like this is a living thing that needs certain... um, certain care, maintenance, consideration, protection to be able, for it to be able to regenerate and produce anew, right? Um, and so I think it's heritage so that it's expansive of all those different kinds of culture mm-hmm. that were there in the past, exist in the present, and will be created in the future. And then conservation, meaning how can we create the sort of environment that culture can continue to thrive and grow and regenerate over time. Just before we go, one of the things I also was most excited about your group was that you're using your approach to deal with some problems in neighborhoods, to reduce crime, to reduce, you know, violence, to reduce a sense of hopelessness. And I think this is a model that can catch on because um, there's nothing else out there looking at people. It's just about buildings mm-hmm. and it's not about the people like I like your phrase this you know the uses between the spaces mm-hmm. these built structures mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense because we don't understand what people are doing in between those spaces mm-hmm. so is that something else you guys are really focused on trying to 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 get people to think about you know how they can reduce some of the problems and that they have the power to do it themselves. They don't need somebody else to do it. They could do it themselves. Yeah, exactly. It's like these things are already here. You're already doing them. So let's like amplify those as a way to make this community what we want it to be because obviously you already care about this, these certain cultural things that you're creating. How do we make sure that grows and sustains over time, I think is is what, what really our our goal is because it is about people's sense of place in within the built environment that makes a neighborhood or makes a community or makes a place. It's not really about the buildings, even though they are very important to the fabric of a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think often we're, you know, we're frankly left out of a lot of conversations about buildings anyway. Like in, in historic preservation, it's about architectural significance, and that's not always mm. what buildings in um, black and brown communities have to offer, but there's a rich cultural and heritage life, and how are we capturing that and understanding that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's also a push, you know, s- talking about heritage and people as being most important is also a push um against our professions. While we love our professions, we're also trying to push against uh, the assumptions that they they make inside of them. So, and I think that's beautifully, that's why black space is beautiful is because it's 
a group of professionals it, um, who are working to the highest level in our careers, um, as well as working in black neighborhoods. Um, and all of it works, <clears throat> excuse me, all of it works together uh, to sort of both push against the establishments, but also create new futures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what is great about the way black spaces is, um, is. That's it, what's great. You know, I like <laughs> it. It's not about either or, it's about the and. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Emma, for coming out today. And I think we learned a lot. And um, I'm a big proponent for public space because I deal with art in public spaces, but I like your approach. It's it's really humanizing, and I think that's what's missing sometimes when it comes to, you know, neighborhood development. We're not really paying attention to the people. Mm-hmm. They're not considered that important. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>